ทสามวัตวรหัตวสัมมาสัมบุตสานุโมทสามวัตวรหัตวสัมมาสัมบุตสานุโมทสามวัตวรหัตวสัมมาสัมบุตสาพุทังธรรมังสังฆังนามสังTo reflect in a way 
that helps us see what really matters. If there's wisdom, we can tell what really matters. We can discern that matters and that doesn't matter. That might sort of matter, but it doesn't matter as much as this. If there's no wisdom, well, then we can't necessarily discern what really matters. And I think uh, in this consideration of, of wisdom, it's helpful to uh, identify with the Buddha talked about the different levels of wisdom. There is the conventional wisdom, or lokiapanya, uh, conventional level of skilled discernment, and then there's lokutrapanya, or there's transcendent or profound uh, or transcendent wisdom. And the, the transcendent wisdom is that which settles the great matter. That's the, the, the ability that the Buddha pointed out human beings have to arrive at unshakable realization. So it's not open to debate anymore. It's not speculative. It's not uh, relative. It's uh, an unshakable realization of, of reality and an ability to accord with it. And it's important we identify this because if we don't recognize this, well, then we can think it's all open to discussion or debate and views and opinions. So, whereas, as Ajahn Smeda points out in that uh, reflection that's uh, quoted on that verse there, that letting go of attachments to our views and opinions, that's wisdom. Now, we could think that wisdom is just having the right views and opinions. But a better way of seeing it is that wisdom is, the, is what observes the, uh, the causes of suffering. That it's the attachment. It's not the views and opinions in themselves, but it's the attachment to the views and opinions that causes the suffering. And with, if we observe these long enough, and clearly enough, and sensitively enough, well then there's understanding, and then with the understanding comes letting go. And we need to do this, I would suggest, in a way that works for us. Of course, you can read the scriptures and you can see what it says about conventional wisdom and and, uh, transcendent wisdom. And that's always there in the scriptures for people to look up. But I I think it's also important or useful if we choose to exercise our own minds, our own capacity, to consider, well, what is wisdom? I think for me, this is one of the great gifts of living with wise beings, like Ajahn Chah, Ajahn Tate, you know, to be around these people and to hear how they spoke in very in everyday terms about what it means to live wisely. Or like Ajahn Sumedho's comments, living wisely means this. And so, But we don't just believe in what Ajahn Sumedho says or what Ajahn Chah says or anybody else says. We don't what the Buddha says for that matter we're not asked to believe in it but to exercise this capacity to exercise our discernment and to come to a a feeling for what does wisdom mean to me what does wisdom what what does being wise really mean so in my own contemplation on this when I think about wisdom, what comes up is the application of intelligence or discernment that leads to freedom from suffering. That's what I would consider as wise. The the application of discernment, the application of intelligence 
that leads to freedom from suffering. Now we can use our intelligence, we can use our discernment in all sorts of ways. You know, it takes a lot of of intelligence to uh, learn how to create a dirty bomb. You know, that takes a lot of intelligence. But you know, that might, you know, if you're a terrorist, that might get you what you want. You know, you might cause a lot of trouble for somebody. But would we call that wise? I wouldn't have thought so. I was reading a a, uh, a page on on the BBC uh, technology recently, where the um, the uh, some university has developed this new mechanism for generating electricity, so that you can charge your phone, your mobile phone, while you're walking. You know how irritating it is. You probably may not know how irritating it is when your mobile phone runs down. Maybe you don't have one, but you know, you've got to find somewhere to plug your phone in. Well, these people have used their intelligence now to uh, make it possible that you just put something in your shoe and then you walk. I think it's called reverse electro-wetting. So if you can get that, reverse electro-wetting. And I won't attempt to explain the technology to you, but it's sophisticated intelligence that it takes to to arrive at, to discover reverse electro-wetting, so that all you have to do is just walk like this. You know, go for a walk down to the lake and back again, and your telephone will be charged. That's, a, that's amazing, isn't that, isn't that incredible? Uh, some of the, what people can do with, with software, with programming, you know, you can, you can burrow your way there into, into some programming and access the source code and manipulate it to make it do what you want, and, and then you feel very pleased with yourself. That takes a lot of intelligence. But would you call that wise? In my thinking, I don't, I don't necessarily see that it's wise. It's clever. But I would think wisdom is of another level. And so my way of thinking about wisdom is that it's uh, the application of discernment, the application of intelligence that leads us to freedom from suffering. That seems to be also, in my understanding, what accords with what the Buddha taught. But I would encourage people, you know, have your own, you know, think about this. You say, what, do you, what do you think wisdom means? You know, there's not a lot out there that's encouraging us to ask these questions, but these are, these are the spiritual questions. This is the spiritual exercise. It's not about believing. It's about exercising this capacity. You know, what is wisdom? Yeah, it's a great word, you know, wisdom and ancient wisdom, traditional wisdom and profound wisdom and but what does it mean to me? What do I think it really means? So you can listen to what I'm saying, and hopefully what I'm saying will perhaps activate your own contemplation, which is all I'm aiming at. Uh, and then not necessarily be in a hurry also to answer that question, but to, to let that question settle in. Because these, are, these are really important questions. Yeah. Likewise, the question of, of what is suffering. You know, if we uh, say that uh, wisdom is the application of discernment that, that uh, leads us to freedom from suffering. Yeah, that's, that's good, that fits. But then what do I mean by suffering? Yeah. I, every moon day for the last few weeks, the last six weeks actually, we've been new moon, full moon, and in between quarter moons, we've been chanting the Dhamma Chakrabhuatana Sutta, the Buddha's discourse, the Buddha's first teaching on the Four Noble Truths where he addresses specifically uh, 
this question of suffering, how it arises and how it ceases. But again, if we are to approach this wisely in the way the Buddha wanted us, we, we don't just believe what the Buddha said and accept the intellectual argument, which is very good. In fact, it's pretty faultless. In fact, it is thoroughly faultless, in my view. But we're not asked to just accept it. We're asked to engage it and say, well, what does that really mean to me? You know, what, do I, what is suffering? What is my suffering anyway? And in asking that question, we're exercising this capacity for wise consideration, panya, wisdom. You know, we're exercising this. This is, this is conventional wisdom. This is not yet transcendental wisdom, but it leads to transcendental wisdom. So how do we do this? We need to stop and think for ourselves uh, and, and, and ask the sort of question that I'm encouraging tonight. What is wisdom? What is suffering? So when I stop to think about suffering, the real source of suffering, where does it come from? What's really going on in this domain? I know I suffer. You know, and I can, I can put it down to, you know, getting older or the weather or whatever. But I, obviously, I don't believe that. You know, it's definitely not really the cause of suffering. The cause of something is is in a different area altogether. It's somewhere inside. It's something that I'm doing. Now, what I like to think about, I like to contemplate the whole issue of, of where I find or where we find a sense of identity. Where, where is this, you know, this me gets into trouble, gets me into trouble. Me gets me into trouble. I get myself into trouble constantly, consistently. Yeah. And what is this? What's this story? What is this story about me and mine yeah, that uh, is creating so much suffering, that is creating so many problems in life? What is the reality there? And I find that very interesting. And if we find that interesting, well, then we engage the faculty of wise reflection, of discernment, of wisdom, to look into that and to find our own ways of, of how to unpick it. Yeah. It's like, it's like un- undoing a tangle. If you, if you, you, you got a, a piece of rope down on the workshop that didn't get put away properly last time it was used, it just got all bundled up and thrown into the workshop which is not how we're supposed to do things in the monastery, but sometimes it happens. And then you want to use it, so what do you do? You've got to unpick it. You've got to unpull it. And so you do it this way, and it gets tighter. That's not helping. How do you know it's not helping? Well, you just know. (laughs) How do you know it's not helping? I mean, that's not even a helpful question, is it, really? How do you know it's not helping when you pull it that way? You just know. I mean, you could spend a lot of time explaining, well, my left hand feels it's getting tighter because I'm right... But actually, when you do this, you just know, oh, that's not working. So you're exercising your discernment in the pursuit of freedom from suffering. And you try with this way. Oh, now it's working. And you get a feel for the the tangle. And you feel good. Or maybe maybe you're doing some crochet. Monks are great on crochet. Well, some monks are. Remember very inspired when I first arrived at Wat Nana Chart in Thailand, there's Ajahn Pabakura, the great big helicopter pilot, ex-helicopter pilot, sitting there on the platform doing his crochet, crocheting a bowl cover or a spoon cover. It's one of the peculiar eccentric habits of forest monks. 
But when you get your ball of yarn in a mess, it's all tangled up, you've got to exercise discernment as you untangle it. Well, this exercise of discernment as we undo the tangles, the inner tangles, is a similar sort of a process. You know, it's not something that the book can tell us how to do it. You can read the books and you get some guidelines, but if you've got a, a tangled pile of rope, no amount of reading books is going to help you do it. You need to get your hands in there and feel what you're doing. And likewise, with our suffering in life, we need to get our attention in there and sensitivity and interest. So what's really going on? For me, as I was mentioning, I, I find the whole question of identity, where we find our sense of being, where we identify ourselves. And, and consistently, we misidentify ourselves in a place that is not secure. Yeah. We misidentify ourselves in the conditions of life. And all the conditions are insecure. All the conditions are changing. All conditions are unstable, insecure, impermanent. That's the theory. But if we have a look, we can see it's also the experience. There's no thought we've ever had that's last forever. You hang on to a thought and eventually you forget it. You know, when you're having breakfast, the thought's gone. Then after breakfast, maybe you can't even remember it. Yeah. Or a feeling. Some feelings that we have that can seem ultimate, like delight. At, at, you may be climbing some mountains and, and, and you're out there with your best friend and and you reach the top of the mountain after a hard climb and, and the vista is absolutely pristine. There's nothing, nothing that's been interfered with. Gazing upon the uninterfered with is just so awe-inspiring to gaze upon the uninterfered with. There's no pylons, no buildings, there's no damaged trees, just pristine, beautiful range after range of mountains with an occasional lake in between. And, and the joy and the delight that can come from something like that is... You know, you, if you indulge in it, you, you might think it's some sort of an ultimate feeling. Well, it can only be a matter of you know, hours or even a few minutes as you're walking down the mountain, you can twist your ankle or you discover that the river's flooded since you crossed it and you think, oops, you know, how are you going to get across it? And then there's, there's panic and that ultimate feeling is, uh, was not ultimate. Uh, or indignation when somebody says something hurtful, inconsiderate, dismisses you. you know, I find the older I get, the more the young people seem to think I'm stupid. You know, I don't know why it is. Probably because I was like that when I was young. But that's how it feels. You know, you're just getting a little bit older, so people don't seem to think you know anything. And so they're busy explaining stuff to you all the time. And, and they sometimes go, hmm, you know, <laughs> yeah. what is that? I mean, I know what I'm doing, so why do I have to get upset because some youngster is busy telling me you know, what to do? Me. Me. The condition of this perception of me, I know what I'm doing. What is that perception? That's another condition. All the conditions are unstable. They're all habits. They're all movement. They're all movements of mind. Thoughts, feelings, sensation, agreeable, disagreeable, sight, sound, smell, taste, touches and mental impression. It's all dust floating through open space. What's the space of all the conditions? That's what I find extremely interesting to contemplate. Or the context, and personally the, the way I, I, I view it in my own consideration 
about the source of all suffering and the way out of suffering is that when we get lost in the content, we suffer. But if we can fall back into and abide as the context of all content, that's something else. Now, if we can exercise wise discernment in such a direction, to find our own creative ways of of burrowing into the complexity of our life and finding our own views, our own ways, our own perspective on the struggle. If we do this, well then we, things start to undo. They start to find the tangle gets easier. The view becomes clearer. The energy becomes smoother, becomes lighter. And then, if we arrive at it in such a way for ourselves, then such a view becomes a, a wise perspective out of which we can live. If I consider that any condition is going to lead to suffering by attaching to it, and all content is unsatisfactory. Well, that's been said before. Sabe sankara dukati yadhapanyaya pasati atani bindati dukhe samago visudhiya. The Buddha, the, all conditioned phenomena is unsatisfactory. Sabe sankara dukati yadhapanyaya pasati. Seeing this with wisdom is the path to purification. This is the path, the way to purification. But we don't want to just, you know, read the Pali and, and, and think, well, that's a great argument and then grasp it because you can become seriously obnoxious by knowing a lot about wisdom you know, and then remembering it and then, you know, using it to win arguments. But that's not applying wise discernment. It's, it's almost like it's a different direction. It's almost like instead of going out with our, our wise opinions and views, it's like going inwards with our applying wise consideration. It's like, it's like chewing on it until we can then take it in and swallow it and digest it until it becomes ours. And so using wise discernment to hopefully arrive at a view that really serves our commitment, our interest, our enthusiasm for moving along this path to freedom from suffering. We trust that it's possible. We've heard the teachings from wise beings. We've heard the teachings of the Buddha. We trust that freedom from suffering is possible. And so then we get interested in how to exercise, apply this wisdom until we can really start to get a feeling for a movement in this direction. And the view that we have is very important. Yes, read what the scriptures say, but also to consider for ourselves, you know, does this make sense to me? How do I apply this? So I love this view myself. It may not work for you, but the idea of the difference between the, the content and the context and I just love to think about that and, and remind myself to move in the direction of being the context of experiences. There's no experiences worth having, actually. Yeah. Now, that can sound to the wrong person the wrong way. That can sound a pretty kind of miserable thing to say. There's no experience worth having, really, yeah. in the sense of there's no experience worth grasping at. Any experience, if we grasp at it, really grasp at it, 
holding it, and you know, we don't want to mistake this, holding it in a skillful way, there's certain experiences which actually are very helpful to have. But to have them in the right way, to have them in a wise way, which is, I mean, have them without creating suffering out of it. Well, the image that I've often given before is like driving, you know, driving a car. You know, of course you've got to hang on to the wheel, but that's not the same as grasping the wheel. Grasping the wheel and you get tense and energy goes into your head and you get a headache. So holding it with one finger, that's not it either. Yeah, but holding the wheel rightly, you know, we can control the vehicle and we don't get stressed. And so holding our views rightly, wisely. Yeah. And this... This kind of contemplation, again, this is, this is the application of wisdom. Remember when I lived with Ajahn Tate, my first teacher in Thailand, and he, he, had, he had asked the monks, I'm not sure when it was there or before I came there, but he had asked the monks there, you use a mirror to see your eye in. You use a mirror to see your eye in. What does the mind use to see itself? The eye uses a mirror to see itself, what does the mind use to see itself? Well, pretty obvious, you know, given what we're talking about tonight. The answer is wisdom. Yeah. There is this reflective capacity of the mind. And, and to exercise it in keeping with the tradition, traditional teachings. Yeah. But then also in keeping with our own experience. So these two elements together. We, yes, we study the traditional teachings. We listen to our wise elders, those who have gone before us walk the path before us, know the dangers, know the advantages. Yes, we listen to what they say. But we're walking it from a different place. You know, we're not walking that path from where they walked it from. We're coming from where we're at. And so we need to consider our own perspective as well. And so the, um, the way we hold the view and the view itself. If we hold it too tightly, then that's not wise because it leads to more suffering. If we hold it in just the right way, well, then that view is supporting us. And then the view themselves you know, is listening to the teachers, those who've walked away further than we have. Like, as I was quoting Ajahn Tate you know, before, and remember something he said one evening uh, in giving a Dhamma talk. That um, Well, actually, it's so long ago now, I don't remember whether I heard it directly or somebody else translated it. In fact, I couldn't speak Thai when I was there anyway. So, But what he was saying, he was commenting on the chanting that we do in the evening. We, we In Thailand, we do the chanting in Pali, just the same as we do it here. Slightly different rhythm, but the same words. But they translate it into Thai to make sure people understand it. And so they're talking about the qualities of the Buddha, and they say the Buddha is an arahant. And then they translate that arahant, pūglaija kilet, which means somebody who is far from defilements. Kilet is kilesa, you know, the pollutions of the mind. Greed, aversion, delusion. That's a, a kind of a, a, a euphemistic way of, of saying the, uh, what an arahant is. Uh, somebody who is far from defilements. And he was commenting on this, and he says... In other words, it's not far from defilements. He says, in reality, the Arahant is not far from defilements at all. In fact, he's very close to defilements. He's still very close. But an Arahant understands the nature of defilements so well that 
he or she doesn't cling to the defilements or the habits, and so there's no suffering. Well, that's a helpful view to have on the path. Because if you read the books, sometimes you read the texts, the ancient scriptures, you can get the impression that arahants or people are free from suffering and these amazing saintly beings who walk along. In fact, I think it says somewhere that arahants don't actually touch the ground, they're a little bit above the ground. You know, it's almost like they've got wings and they fly and, and you know, they don't have body odour and whatever. You know, I, I don't think that's what the Buddha was talking about at all. So the view we have, how we hold the view is important, but the view, we need to have a wise relationship to the view, but also we need to have wise views. And so reading the teachings, listening to uh, those who've got wisdom. And Arahant is not, a fully enlightened being is not far from the defilement, it's not far from greed, aversion, delusion at all. It's just that they know these habits, these patterns so well that they're not going to touch it. Just the same as, you know, a little child doesn't know that that gas fire in the kitchen is going to burn them. And so when mummy is out and uh, the little child, unfortunately, sticks his hand in the fire and then, well, we know the result. Now, none of us are going to stick our hands in the fire. We're just not going to do it. Why not? Because we know. We know that if you stick the hand in the fire... We know that. You know, there's nothing, unless we lost our faculties. You know. We just wouldn't stick a hand in the fire. Now a little child doesn't know that. Well, so long as we don't have wisdom, well then unfortunately we relate to the conditioned habits of greed, aversion and delusion in an ignorant way and we suffer. However, for a, a liberated being, a wise being, an arahant, they don't grasp at these habits, these patterns, these conditioned formations of mind. In fact, they don't grasp at any formation. They don't grasp at any condition. They don't grasp at any content. They abide as the context of all experience, continually. Another aspect of wisdom worth considering is, is that it knows... Wisdom is that which can tell us the right amount of things. We can hear wisdom teachings and become very inspired. Uh, as many of us did. We heard something or read something that the heart was quickened. And think, oh, at last, there's something. This is it. This is this is this is a different sort of experience. This is not just an argument that I agree with, but but something is brought alive within us, and we get very enthusiastic. But if we're not careful, the way we relate to that inspiration, the way we relate to those wisdom teachings, can spoil them, actually, and we can throw ourselves right out of balance the other way. You know, sometimes I think of it as, as being like the survivors of, of Auschwitz or Dachau or one of those concentration camps where you know, when the Allies liberated them, a lot of people died because they gorged themselves on food. They didn't die during the the torture that they were put under, but once they were liberated, their, their relationship to the food was un, unwise, and unfortunately, unskillful and unproductive, and a lot of people died not knowing the right amount. And I use that image because, personally, my feeling of where I was coming from before I came across Buddhist teaching was I was starving. I was really starving, and 
And when I came across these teachings, I was so glad, so happy. But the lack of wisdom meant I didn't know how to relate to them, and I got overly enthusiastic and threw myself into them in a way that was not balanced. Whereas if there's wisdom, well, it knows the right amount. You know, there's a perspective. It's able to judge. Yeah, again, it's just like untangling that pile of tangled rope. You know, you know, you're pulling it this way. If you're really paying attention, you know, oh, that's making it worse. You know. Yeah. But then you maybe eventually you think, oh, no, actually, that's the right amount. That's the way to pull it. That's, that's helping. And even if there's been, even, you know, many of you have been on retreats and ex- had experience of, of uh, the mind settling and the, the beauty of a mind that is freed from some of the turmoil that we were so used to and, and you gain a new perspective on things. And you know, there's a little, mon- a little insight arises and, and maybe valid insight. I'm not saying it's not valid. But it can take a long time before we integrate that wisdom. Wisdom can tell us that. Wisdom knows that even though there's insight, it doesn't mean to say that all the problems are going to suddenly fall away. There's a a lot of uh, written material around uh, documenting the experiences of people who are pursuing the spiritual path who have profound, mind-blowing, world-shattering experiences and insights, only to find that a few few days or weeks or months afterwards, it looks like the whole world falls apart. And the, the suffering is even more intense than it was before. Now, if there's not, not a wise perspective on that, you could dismiss the original insight. Whereas if there's wisdom, it says, hold back. Don't believe in the way things appear to be. Yeah. Children are fooled by their apparent reality. When, when mummy or daddy leaves the, leaves the room or daddy goes to work, then the children cry because they don't realise that daddy's coming back again. They don't have a perspective on it. But as they grow up, they realise they've got a perspective. They say, oh, right, daddy's going to work, but daddy went to work yesterday and came back again. So no more tears. Bye-bye, daddy. Off and go and play with something. Have a good time until daddy comes home again. Well, likewise, with some of the experiences we have in our inner work, we we can have some profound and wonderful, inspiring insights, only to be followed by massive despair. And then the doubt comes up. Is this this purification or is this disintegration? That could be a very real question that a lot of meditators have to listen to. Is this that I'm going through purification or disintegration don't know if there's a if we have the ability to exercise wise discernment we just say well i don't know we're not going to believe in the way it appears it appears like this is a disaster it appears like this is intolerable it can even appear like you should top yourself absolutely can appear like that but if we're able to exercise wise discernment we say well it appears this way but it doesn't mean to say it's going to always be that way. You know, like winter, when it comes along. Winter comes along, you think, oh, this winter is just going to, it seems like it's going to last forever. And if you're not careful, you get depressed. But if you exercise a little discernment, you say, well, it seemed like this last year. It seemed like that the year before. Winter seems like that. But that's not the way it is. Winter passes away, spring comes, and so does summer. 
And then, as we know now, autumn is coming, and then will be winter. So if we exercise wise discernment, we exercise skillful investigation, then even if a seriously threatening perception arises, following on some deep insight we've had, which has really opened us up, made us very vulnerable, but then left us with a mess bigger than what we thought we had before, we don't jump to the conclusion that it really is this way. It can appear that way, but we don't believe it. So the consideration of wisdom, uh, I'm certainly not equipped or interested in giving a lecture on what wisdom is, but hopefully some of these thoughts might act as a a trigger for uh, your uh, more enthusiastic exercising of the faculty of wise consideration. Thank you very much this evening for your attention. (coughs) Then I am done.